Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm back sporting my Parsec shirt for another week. Uh, That was the interview that just aired on Monday, and that was a team of people working on remote play software. It's very much oversimplifying what they do. Uh, We really, I had a great time in the interview. Uh, It was great that I got to meet Jamie beforehand and do a demo of the software so I could check out really how part of it worked. Uh, And then I really just enjoyed talking to the Parsec team, a bunch of good people that are working very hard on something, and uh, it, for most end-user scenarios, it's free. So it's kind of cool just to see people dumping so much effort into uh, into a piece of software that most gamers, and even retro gamers to a point, could use. But if you're interested, please check out the interview. Uh, I thought it went pretty well, and it's one of the few I get to do in person because they were located right in Manhattan. But uh, please check it out if you're interested, and let's jump into the rest of the news. Greg Collins is at it again with another really awesome 3D print design available for free up on Thingverse. This time he did a NES controller that's meant to be a drop-in replacement for the guts of the retro USB's AVS. And when I did that review, I thought the controller performed very well, just the boomerang shape of it didn't fit my hands well and kind of ruined the experience. So I ended up taking a $8 Amazon controller and completely hacking it apart just in proof of concept, and the controller worked great. So Greg actually took it um, and designed from scratch a 3D printout that you could take all of the guts, including the buttons, and just move them over to this, because the buttons are obviously very important, especially the feel of 3D buttons versus regular ones. So this case, you just unbolt the AVS controller, stick all the guts in, and it works the same, but feels like a NES controller. So I'll definitely be doing a re-review of the AVS with this 3D print design, And I think it just looks absolutely awesome. It retains the turbo as well as the LED lights. Uh, There's no gaping holes in the back like in my my hack-up proof-of-concept design. And everything just fits exactly the way it should. It's a tiny bit thicker, but, I mean, who cares? It just probably would make a lot less of a difference than having those bat wings on the side. So uh, the design's pretty awesome, and I'm really looking forward to trying it out. So expect a short re-review of that controller once I get one of the 3D printouts. HD Retrovision posted a new update on their website. The Sony PlayStation cables are still in stock, but they're working on getting stock back of the Genesis cables, and will continue work on the Dreamcast cables as well. Well, another week passed, and another long list of crazy updates to the Game Boy interface software from Extrems. Some of them are just experimental modes at the moment, but they have 360p, 720p, and even 1080i modes available now. 
Uh, they run at kind of awkward resolutions, so 480 by 720, 60 frames per second, by the way. So at the moment, um, I, don't, I still haven't had a chance to test it personally. All my stuff is still in storage for a few more weeks. But I really can't wait to see how these perform on things like professional video monitors. So, you know, how would a Game Boy Advance in the 720p mode look on my widescreen BVM? Um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff uh, that's added to this. Um, Extremes wasn't extremely specific about uh, his envisioned use cases. He did want to remind us that uh, you know there are limitations, but there's been a bunch more updates to this. Um, the 720i and 1080i video modes seem pretty interesting as well. Uh, obviously, interlaced video is something that really uh, it, it's probably not the best to play on, depending on your scenario. But I imagine there's a bunch of other proof of concept things and experiments you could be doing with it. Um, and then a few other minor updates, like fixing uh, uh, a Game Boy Player that bug that would crash with in-game reset. Um, and overall, I mean, he's just still going crazy on this and adding insane features. Uh, I just, you know, can't thank him enough for continuing to support this software. Uh, and there's already people doing a couple of image captures that kind of just show what the 720p modes look like. And it, it just... It just never stops, and I'm very excited to play with it. I really hope I'm able to get uh, my game, my whole GameCube setup back soon enough. But uh, I probably didn't do all that justice, but I tried my best. So thanks to Extremes, and I will hopefully be able to do a, a video on what these things look like, even if it's just a, a quick playthrough or something, just because it, it's just... I keep gushing and ranting about this because it's very impressive all the different features that you have in a free piece of software. So I think it's worth gushing over even if some of the features are just experimental or just for, for messing with. But awesome job. Ray Command just posted a review of Crix's Joy's controller, and he compared it to a bunch of different solutions, including Sega's own wireless controller, as well as a Hyperkin controller and some of the original Genesis controllers as well. Uh, a pretty great review, so if anybody was interested in the, you know, the comparing it to other controllers, definitely check out this review, because it's good stuff. It looks like there's another bad mod work scenario brewing at the moment, and it's one I wanted to touch upon because it involves third-party hardware manufacturers, which is something we never really talked about in the context of this before. So this is not a drama rant. I'm not going to name the name of the modder. I'm not even going to name the forum that this was posted on. But somebody had uh, bought a pre-modded console and then bought a third-party device to use on it, and it was giving them trouble. So they were posting on forums, trying to find different things to try, and right before they returned the item, somebody said, hey, why don't you pop open the console? And then the work was, it was not the worst I've ever seen, but it was very bad. Um, you know, the, everything that hopefully we've learned in the past few years not to do. Covered in glue, you know, long wire runs when it could be you know, just an, an inch or two. Just it, all of the basic do not do's were in this. So it is my opinion and a, a strong opinion that in a scenario like this, that third party hardware manufacturer should not accept that return which really sucks for the person that bought the console, and I feel very bad to say that from that point of view, but if you've manufactured and tested a product, and you have it within a tolerance so that you know it's pretty good, um, and you have somebody plug it into a badly modded console, how do you, the hardware manufacturer, know that that console didn't damage your device? So you're, are you going to have to eat that loss because somebody else, with no intention of their own, damaged that? 
So that's just something I wanted to bring up again, because that's one of the things we really forgot to dig into when we were doing the whole messy mod work thing. And, um, you know, the scenario is the typical one. The person who modded the console jumped onto the forum and said, I stand by my work, everything's perfect, don't tell me how to mod consoles. And it's sad and discouraging, because the whole reason Zach and I did that video making fun of my mod work was because we could feel free to open up and unload, because we're not targeting anybody. You know, I offered up... Uh, my even some things that weren't even mod work even some experiments that I did I offered that up and encouraged people to point and laugh at me because at the same time we were explaining why I thought that was okay to do why it wasn't and what the proper way to do it is and at the end of the day it's it definitely doesn't cost any more to do it right and it's not that much harder it only just takes a little bit more practice and patience so it's still discouraging that there's people out there saying I've sold dozens of these there's nothing wrong you don't know what you're talking about I really hope people had opened up, especially in all the other scenarios that we've had in the past few years where people realized their work wasn't great and did better. Uh, so this is not one of those scenarios, and now it affects third-party hardware vendors. And the bottom line is a consumer just bought something that's probably bad and then bought something else that maybe that first bad thing broke it. So it sucks, and just, you know, this is a Bob PSA to once again... You know, always ask for pictures of the mods when you buy pre-modded consoles. If somebody uh, somebody insists that their mod is perfect and you don't have to worry, it's probably bad. <laughs> and try to go to, to people who have their names out there who have done proven work. All the people I've mentioned over the years, uh, people who generally will post pictures of their stuff on social media proudly without being asked for it, are usually a safer bet because you know consistently what to expect from them. And, you know, that's not to say that a perfect mod couldn't accidentally break something, and that's not to say that third-party product couldn't have been bad itself. Who knows? It's just, if I were that manufacturer, there's no way I would accept that return after looking at the console that it was plugged into. So, just a friendly Bob PSA here, and I hope it came out the right way, because I just meant it as a positive way to look at things from kind of everybody's point of view. Except the bad modder. Screw that. And speaking of terrible mod work, that Voltar guy was breaking shit again. Just kidding. Uh, Voltar just posted a PS2 Slim modding video that is like 40 minutes of pure Bob Ross solder porn. Um, a lot of times people in the comments of his videos, uh, they like the videos, but they want to see more of the technique. They don't want to see it sped up where my impatient ass always wants to see it sped up. Uh, so this one is just like a real-time video that shows exactly how he mods PS2 Slims. And he talks a little bit about why certain things need to be the way they are. But uh, overall, it's just a very cool solder porn video, if you will. So I highly recommend anybody that's into this stuff to, to take a look because it's certainly enjoyable for me to watch. It's also a little intimidating because so many of these guys are way better than I am. But uh, I'm trying and I'm getting better. Sony has announced that the PS4 is entering its final stages, which is something to be expected and kind of follows suit from their last few consoles. So uh, at this point, I probably wouldn't expect any major updates in the hardware. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe they just said this to surprise people, but maybe there's going to be another cost-cutting version of the PS4 Pro released. But overall, it looks like uh, maybe 2020 is when we'll see the PS5, 
And they're talking about possibly ending production around 2021 for PS4s, which is about the same as the overlap of all the rest of the consoles. So I'm excited to see what happens next. I just hope it's not another basic spec bump, which it's, you know, that's a snotty thing for me to say. I realize that. I realize how much research and technology goes into each of these, but with all of the amazing advancements now and all of the different things happening between VR and everything else, I hope we don't just get another console called PS5 that just has a faster chip. I hope something cool comes out of it. I'm not smart enough to figure out what that cool is, but uh, hopefully Sony's engineers are. An update from GameTech on the Ultra HDMI shipment. Marshall said that this latest batch of kits suffered the same lack of solder in the HDMI connector mount holes as the last batch, but he's going through and fixing all of them, and they should get to GameTech in about two weeks. So anybody that had an order with GameTech, it's probably two weeks delayed, but it's getting there. So... Sucks for Marshall. I feel bad when I hear things like that, but big thanks to him for fixing all of them before shipping them out. Nintendo announced that they're going to have a new Switch bundle in Japan that doesn't come with the dock to save a few dollars. So I guess that makes sense because I know a lot of people probably use it as a portable-only console, but I'm happy they're doing this because at least it shows they're able to open up and try new ideas with this. Me personally would prefer if they just sold a console-only version of the Switch. I'll never need the battery, I'll never need the built-in screen, and I don't even use the Joy-Cons. I actually use the 8-bit Doe controller. So I hope they think of something like that for, for the U.S., and I hope they go the other side of it as well. I would love to save $50-plus on all that stuff. Uh, and I'd also love to see them, maybe the next generation of the Switch, kind of do the same thing, but with the faster processors. So maybe they play all the same games, but the newer ones can go in 4K uh, rather than 720 and 1080. But all of that's wishful thinking. The only thing the article said is the Switch is available without the dock in Japan now. I just uh, hopefully that opens up the doors for more sales opportunities and more ways to purchase the Switch around the rest of the world. Bordy just posted pictures of a new idea he had for his N64 RGB kits. He had the idea of putting a flex connector right next to the video output chip and include some of the resistors that are required right there. He said that should improve some performance uh, in a noticeable way, and it's kind of neat because you could just do all the soldering right there, maybe just use a little bit of tape to affix that flex cable, and then now you have on the other side just the cable going around right to his N64 board. So it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool idea, and I'll definitely report back when I see it in person. But uh, tons of progress going on with Bordy's N64 stuff, so I'm always looking forward to seeing what he has next. A good review was just posted of the SSD S3, which made me really happy because so many of the reviews out there are clickbait YouTube videos or people that are really just concentrating on the drama, which uh, at the end of the day, all that really matters is that how does the hardware perform? You know, customer service issues aside, if you bought it from a reputable store, how does it perform? And this, this review does a great job kind of nailing it down. And they go into details, but the conclusion they came to is it works fine, it's just not perfect. Which brings me to the one concern I always had about it, is for $300, I would really want something that strived to be perfect. And I don't think it's possible to make it that much cheaper, because a lot goes into these. But if it were a $100 device, I would probably be taking the other perspective on it. Like, look, you get all this stuff for 100 bucks. Just stop complaining and enjoy it and do things piece by piece if you're a perfectionist. 
for 300 that's where it's like, well, I really wish it could have been a little better on both sides. But read the review for more details. They did take a, a screen cap picture of the SSD S3 versus the internal RGB mod. Um, they showed pictures of the RGB mod, and it's a well-done mod. So it's one that, uh, you know, there's no trickery going on. It's just a, a well-modded console. So I, I think this is once again proof that if, uh, if jail bars drive you crazy, if there's interference bothers you, you really need to do an internal solution and not use the signal that's on the SSD S3. And I'll be getting one in soon. A friend of mine bought one and hasn't even opened it yet. So I'll do another completely objective review. Where I, and I, the other thing I would really like to do is put it up against Renee's DB Graphics Booster. Because I've done a tremendous amount of testing with that over the years. And provided the console itself is in good shape, that works great. So we, of course, uh, anybody that's used TurboGrafx-16s and has dealt with the jail bar issue... There's ways to, to really significantly reduce that on the console itself. So I want to make sure I get a console that's been uh, in perfect condition, or as, you know, as perfect as these old consoles can be, and performing well so that it's a fair and even comparison. That way I could use, like I believe uh, Medium did, that way I could use the same console, test both solutions, both external solutions, and use the same cable, because they both use the Genesis 2 cable. And this way I could really truly demonstrate what you should expect from an external piece of hardware versus what we might be getting on the SSD S3. So from a hardware standpoint, I'll stay on this and I'll keep everybody updated. Uh, I'd check out of the drama. I don't really want any of that crap anymore. So um, pretty much all I'm going to say on that. But objective review coming soon for me. And uh, But definitely check out this one if you're interested, because I think they did a great job. The Japan-only game, Return of Double Dragon, will soon be available to purchase as a SNES cart. This is essentially just Super Double Dragon, but a Japanese-only release with a few more features. I guess it was described as a beefed-up version of Super Double Dragon. So I think stuff like this is pretty cool. Uh, I do look down upon those re-releases of the same exact game, such as the Street Fighter or Mega Man ones. But in my opinion, this one feels different, because at the very least, it's a game that I could have never purchased in North America. So in my opinion, it does serve a purpose... A lot of people disagreed with me on all of those things. Some people hate all of the repros. Some people loved them as collector's items. And I'm sure there's going to be mixed opinions of this one as well. But to me, it seems kind of neat. And I figured I would at least pass on the info and the link to where to purchase. Samsung announced that they'll be adding FreeSync to some of their 2018 TVs. But it'll only be available when running 1080p 60 modes. So it's definitely good that more companies are jumping on board and realizing how important some of the gaming stuff is to these TVs, and I hope to see more companies do the same thing, and do it in 4K. Super G just posted that the new prototypes of his G-SCART Switch Lite have arrived, which include the Syncon Green support, and he's going to be doing some debugging and some testing, uh, and then post more information soon. So that was pretty quick. Um, I'll keep everybody updated, and hopefully I'll get one to test soon, and really test how it works with Xbox and PlayStation 2's Syncon Green modes. There's another update to the Virtual Boy Link Cable project. Mellet posted 3D design files on the Virtual Boy forums that allow you to print your own connectors, and then you just follow his existing guide to make a wired link cable. 
So this is pretty cool for people that want to link two Virtual Boys together. I believe you could use the Hyper Fighting game, so Street Fighter Virtual Boy, if you're lucky enough to have that. As well as, I uh, believe there's hacked versions of Mario Tennis that you could do it too, which I think would be really incredible. So uh, I'm pretty interested in one of these. I think the only other person on the planet that might be as excited as me for something like this is Cousin Scott and uh, Smoke Monster, but... I'll try to get my hands on one of these and uh, just do, at the very least, a head-to-head -head Mario Tennis. Quite literally, a <laughs> head-to-head -head Mario Tennis. And speaking of Virtual Boy news, it looks like another person on the Virtual Boy forums seems to have stumbled across a working prototype of Bound High. Now, I believe the story behind this game was this was a mostly finished game that somebody came across the source code for and then painstakingly recreated it to making it an actual playable Virtual Boy game. And if this cart turns out to be legit, that means that there was actually a finished and working version of it. So hopefully he'll get the ROM dumped and be able to archive it and share it with the community. And I'll certainly keep everybody posted because as much as Virtual Boy does take a lot of shots, um, I do think it's a cool console. And there's at least a few games that I think really capture the cool 3D effect and Bound High is absolutely one of them. Jacob Proctor just posted his own version of DB Electronics' Extron audio adapter. His version uses a 3.5mm audio plug as opposed to two RCA inputs. So this is just yet another reason why I love open source. Renee posted his design and now people are building upon it. And the only serious problem that I think this brings up is now I don't know which one to use for my Extron. Should I stick with RCA cables or 3.5mm? I think RCA is probably my way to go, but now we have choices. So anybody with an Extron crosspoint or any of the other Extron boxes that have the Phoenix connectors, now you have another choice. I just stumbled across a pretty cool page called Atari 2600 Memories. It's on the Random Terrain website, and they basically take a release date of every single Atari 2600 game, and then, based on the same year and month, show you things like what was Top 100 Radio, what's new with the movies and on TV. It's just kind of pretty neat to break things down like that, so uh, you get to really put it in perspective what the games and the culture was at the time. So not so much of a gaming thing, but kind of a neat historical thing that I felt like sharing. Someone on Reddit just posted their Game Boy Color Capture Device, which is kind of cool. Um, it uses an FPGA and it taps directly into the Game Boy Color signals. You have to wire it up directly, but then you end up getting a pixel-perfect capture of whatever is on the Game Boy Color screen. So, for most of us, it would be way easier to use things like the Game Boy Interface or the uh, Woozles Game Boy Advance HDMI mod. But stuff like this is pretty awesome, and I'm sure there's a use for it somewhere. So uh, the bottom line for me is I just love that people are still digging into these older technologies and really learning more about them. So thanks to Borrower for passing this along, and the link's in the description for people that want to read more. Hey guys, I am here with Smoke Monster. What's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for doing this as always. So the last time I had you on, it was my intention to ask you a bunch of quick questions about a, a few things. And then I couldn't shut up and stop asking you questions, so we ended up talking for like an hour. So sorry to keep you so long last time, but hopefully this time oh, I'll be able fun. to get through this a lot quicker. So um, if you don't mind, we'll just go through and I'll let you do most of the talking. But I did see a lot of things pop up on your Twitter feed or things that we'd spoke about that I, I was going to try my best to explain it, and then I thought... Why not just have Smoke Monster do it himself? So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's grab the first one and jump right in. All right.
So the first thing that I saw that I thought was a, a pretty helpful PSA was your super graphics posts up on, uh, on one of the forums. Could you explain a little bit about what that's all about? Yeah, I'm trying to get the word out right now about, um, so if you own a super graphics, there's a really, um, there's a manufacturing problem with them that you need to uh, deal with, like pronto. So if you buy your um, consoles broken like I do, I buy them usually broken, you know, as, or for repair, expensive things at least, like a Super Graphics. Um, the Super Graphics, it's not like an easy fix a lot of the time because a really common problem is that um, they may, they designed it with this standoff that's sitting right underneath the PCB. And okay. so it's like the PCB is touching the standoff. And... Um, even if there's no pressure at all on the console, that standoff is dug into the PCB. We have some pictures of that. Mm -hmm. But what that means is that any pressure on the top or bottom of the console pushes on that standoff, and it, it snaps the PCB in a point right near the cart connector, which is kind of the wow. densest point on the PCB that you could pick pretty much. Like mm -hmm. um, some of the super graphics I had uh, had 72 traces that were broken. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, so that was a long time ago. It was like 2013 maybe, mm -hmm. and super graphics were cheaper. But I had sent it out at that time, and uh, the Steve fixed it for me. It's something that, like, a highest-level modder like Voltar or someone could fix. Mm -hmm. And maybe people like us could do it, but we wouldn't probably do it the right way. Like, my method would have been to, like, put 72 wires on there from each point, you know. Mm -hmm. Would have been a mess. So it's a major defect, but it's really easy if your super graphics is working. All you need to do is Dremel off that standoff inside, and uh, you'll be good to go. And I've got a post showing how to do that. And yep, I'll have the pictures right there for anybody that's uh, that's watching. And so, just one last question on that: Is this a hard metal that requires a Dremel, or is it soft enough metal that you can get a large pair of cutting shears and just? Yeah, cutting shears are good. It's just okay. uh, it's ABS kind of piece of plastic in oh, there you can plastic. snip it right off yeah there's you oh, don't okay. have to get fancy mm -hmm. all right well that's easy then that seems like a no-brainer that anybody with a super graphic should do yeah and you just need like a game bit 4.5 to open up the the bottom of the super graphics cool thank you next it looks like you stumbled across a newly dumped super nintendo game yeah so a member of my uh discord group which is for my patrons um buffalo joe he has a huge super nintendo collection and he, he's been using copy snes on the super nt to dump everything and he has sd the great battle and he dumped his and it turned out his is a revision 1.1 1 .1, uh, which has never been dumped before and i don't i don't think anyone's aware that it exists either so um we've got a dump of that it's you know, one better than the old one, if you look at it that way. But the common the common one is version 1.0, so maybe this is some kind of bug fixes or um, something like that. We haven't really uh, compared the two too much, but uh, he passed that on to me, and now it's gone to no intro, and they're, dealing, they're talking to him about it. So um, it's kind of cool. It's good timing because just a few weeks ago, uh, Aeon Genesis, a translation team, they just celebrated their 19th anniversary by dumping or by translating. They released all on the same day. I mean, English translations of uh, the Great Battle one through five for Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And so their uh, Great Battle one is based on that version 1.0. So maybe this 1.1 1 .1, uh, could be of use to them or something. But it's kind of cool. 
Awesome. And it's a brand new Super Nintendo game, never before seen. This is the just the third one that's passed through me just since Copy SNES has been out. Maybe the fourth one. That's so you can imagine the torrent of new Super Nintendo uh, ROMs out there right now. Game dumps and everything. Yeah, so if you have a Super NT and you have games that are uh, maybe not the most mainstream popular games, or certainly you know any, any crazy Japanese revisions, definitely dump them just in case, because it's free. And uh, who knows, maybe you'll find a, another hidden piece of history that we didn't even know about. Yeah. Oh, and I've got I've got a toast you here, Bob. Oh. <laughs> Since you always Bob always toasts me with absinthe when I'm on. I, I finally so had lame. some alcohol I just got a in soda hand. this time. <laughs> See, I'm getting you back. Ah, got nice. Some cachaça. I don't even know what that is. Uh, it's a Brazilian. It's kind of like it's basically they make it the same way as rum, except they don't toast the sugar cane, so oh, it's okay. like a hard alcohol. Very tasty. Huh. Awesome. So here's to you. Welcome yeah. back, and thanks for having me on. Thanks, man. So this next one was actually what kind of started me down the maybe I should just call Michael thing because <laughs> um, I think I kind of understood what it was, but I have no clue really. So could you talk about the Shadowhawk dump? Yeah. So Shadowhawk was um, uh, it was a comic that a lot of us liked in the 90s. It was by Image Comics, like at the height of that hyper-violent phase in comics. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was like total attitude, you know. People's backs were getting broken. And there was Shadowhawk, a really cool, kind of like a, a Black Panther kind of character, really dark. Um, and uh, they were working on a video game for him. And there was a prototype that was released. You covered it um, maybe last year, I think, a year and a half ago. And the original prototype that was released was like a hack. And then later, the pure prototype kind of showed up. Mm-hmm. And um, so the pro- the prototype was pretty much unplayable. Like if you got hit, you would just kind of sh- shake there. And if there were two enemies, you would get stuck between them. <laughs> and then on top of that, only the left audio was working. So it was like mono left audio only. Mm-hmm. So it was a bad game made worse by all of that. And um, after a while, a bug fi- someone did a bug fix for it. Someone was, uh, some company was going to make a repro card of it or something, but they got a takedown notice from uh, the guy who owns the Shadowhawk IP. Mm-hmm. I do um, remember so that. Were... I remember that. Didn't they actually take the time to fix a lot of the broken play that was uh, involved in that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they did the bug fixes. They made it to the point where it's basically playable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still not a great game, but you can play it now. And um, the one thing that was left was that they couldn't fix the audio, so it was still just left left channel. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to stream Shadowhawk just to show it really quickly. And um, I know you know the left audio thing makes it kind of unstreamable. Nobody wants to see that. So I had contacted the, I just messaged out a few of the higher up people I knew, like um, Akari and Kev and um, Red Guy. And I was like, oh, hey, could you guys fix this? It seems like something that maybe should be easy for people who are, like, ge- mad geniuses, like, at that level. Mm-hmm. And uh, Red Guy responded to me, like, in 10 minutes. He's like, oh, here it is. I fixed it. <laughs> and so now it's uh, stereo, and you've got the right audio, the right channel audio. And so I submitted that to ROM Hacking, his stereo fix. And then I also made a standalone bug fix hack using taking the bug fixes out of that uh, fixed version. Okay. And then I combined them together for a stereo plus bug fix hack. So it's, it takes everything that's fixed about Shadowhawk and you can apply it to the um, 
like the pure prototype ROM. Okay, that all makes sense now. I'm so glad I didn't try to explain that myself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, kind of a mess. Yeah, so basically, yeah. acquire yourself the Shadowhawk ROM, and then go to the ROM hacking page, which of course I'll, I'll put the link in the description, um, and then download the patch for that, which which will do the bug fixes and the stereo all in one. Mm-hmm. And then I've also had the stereo hack there if somebody wants to, you know, for some reason, just apply stereo to the original ROM and see what that's that's like. Awesome. All right. Thank you for explaining that. I would have, I would have not gotten that right. <laughs> uh huh. All credit to Red Guy for that. He's the the mastermind. Yep, and whoever did those bug fixes, the yeah. anonymous person. I also saw on your Twitter feed that you pushed an NT Mini update for your ROM packs, and I was a little confused about that. Was it separated? Were there things mixed in? Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, so on my back burner for a long time was sort of to get the um, NT Mini jailbreak pack list up in shape because basically the way I was doing it before, it was kind of like duplicating every single system that is covered by the jailbreak. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of pointless. Um, There's no need to do that because what people would really need are just the fixes for each particular system. And then if they wanted, because I already have like a list for 2600, 7800, Master System, Game Boy, all of those. There's no sense in having a huge duplicate on, you know, that people are rolling. So now it's kind of a modular setup where each system just has the the jailbreak specific stuff that you would need. Like, um, for example, Master System, there's a bunch of stuff that needs to be changed and like for the NES, uh, Great Hierophant helped me um, figure out there's tons of Nintendo stuff that needed to be changed. Headers need to be changed and stuff like that. So now it's just going to direct you. The list is just going to direct you to those fixes. And then the idea is that you would say if you want the um, NES stuff, you could put, you could make the EverDrive N8 power pack list that I do and just copy that in there. Okay. And so now it's not wasting, like, you know, if people were to make the whole pack, it would be about two gigabytes. Now it's more like 50 megabytes of stuff. Okay. So, like, I just went through and bulldozed everything. It's all modular now, and uh, you just plug in what you want. So if you want to make the 2600 list, you roll that on your own, and then just you would just copy it in there. And this is for things like there were some games that had bad headers and wouldn't boot on the Analog NT Mini. Uh, even though they worked fine elsewhere, and it's because the headers didn't match, so a lot of these mm-hmm. are fixes for that stuff. Yeah, there's right. little, just little quirks. Like each core basically has a readme, mm-hmm. and the readme tells you uh, certain things that either that you need to fix or that you need to change, or a certain version of a ROM that you need instead of this one. And so this just contains all of that stuff, but none of the extras. So. Cool. Okay. And I will, uh, at some point on my very long list of stuff to catch up from, uh, I do want to do a how-to video that shows how to work your, uh, the new GitHub stuff. So sorry for the delay oh, on that, that, everybody, but I will, uh, I will get on that because I think the more people that understand how to use that, the better it's going to be for everybody, you know, 10 years from now. Because, uh, you know, we just want to keep this stuff going and we want everybody to, to always know how to preserve these things and you know just really the best way to keep all this stuff available for everybody that needs it so yeah for sure and the last thing i wanted to ask was about a post i saw regarding a neo geo metal slug speed issue and you and i had spoken a lot over the past couple of years about uh, different neo geo hacks and things that we wanted to do so which one was this and could you just kind of explain a little bit behind it Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so we all have these weird projects we've done in the past and then you forget about it or nobody ever notices it and then it just disappeared. And the other day I was just looking through my stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that. Um, I was the gatekeeper for the Metal Slug 2 CD Turbo patch or hack or whatever you want to call it, slowdown reduction patch a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I never got around to putting that up on ROM hacking. So I went and I submitted that last night. That should be up by the time this video airs. What it is is, so I think in 2014, System 11 came out with this patch for the Neo Geo MVS or AES version of Metal Slug 2, mm-hmm. which fixed some of the code. It was a, If you've played Metal Slug 2, it has crazy slowdown yeah and on, it's on the not, arcade on the home port and on the cd port just the game in mm-hmm. general on a neo geo console is pretty bad slowdown right just yeah it's like mm-hmm. it's like they're all using that same original rom that has that bad code in it mm-hmm. and it's not a limitation some people used to think it was a limitation of the hardware or something it's not i mean um system 11 was able to basically get rid of almost all of the slowdown and the game before was if you played in two-player, it wasn't you just couldn't play it. I mean, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like, I don't know if I would call it, it's called the Turbo Patch. I would call it more like a fourth gear patch because it really just, it doesn't really speed anything up significantly unless you've gone from the slowed down Metal Slug 2 to it. It will feel like Turbo. Mm-hmm. But um, this, this hack that I just posted to ROM hacking, uh, it just takes that exact same code by System 11, mm-hmm. uh, but it's... It is aligned to the offsets of the CD, so it will. You can apply it to the Metal Slug 2 CD, okay. and uh, that is a different game. You've got a few extra um, options in there, and the arranged soundtrack. So it's pretty cool to see. Yeah. And this. So the this does the same thing, yeah. Sorry, Skype delay. Uh, so yeah. one of the, I guess that leads me to the other question that kind of has everything to do with this at the same time. In that um, now that Neo Geo ROM carts are out for the you know the hardware, uh, you know the AES and the MVS, not just the CD based, are we able to load these patches onto those games as well, so that you can get that advantage on your ROM cart for you know your MVS? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do that, and you can even I've got an actual cartridge of Metal Slug Two that I've done the Turbo Patch to, so you oh. can do it to an to the actual game. You just uh, pop off, I think it was one or two of the EPROMs and burn, reburn it with this and then put it on there and it plays. So, yeah. That is very that cool. Is very... And uh, I guess and, a, uh, I... a secondary thing is that, um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm by no means a Neo Geo expert. Uh, I enjoy the system, but just I feel like everybody else in the scene knows more about it than me. So excuse me if this is a stupid question. But um, I think a lot of the games that are ported over to Neo Geo CD are pretty much the same. Um, but there are a few that are either mostly different music, but some, I mean, is there, can you mm-hmm. get Neo Geo CD games on the ROM carts? Can you patch it with the music? Like, can you just give a, a little, I know this is a little off topic, but can you mm-hmm. just give us a little lesson on that for people that might now be purchasing the, the ROM carts? Mm-hmm. So right now it's, you can't play a Neo Geo CD game on any of the flash carts yet. Mm-hmm. I did ask, and I know it's it's theoretically possible on the Darksoft for sure mm-hmm. that you could add in, um, you just convert the audio to a different format, and the FPGA can do that, but it hasn't been done yet. Okay. And that would be like a coding issue for some. I mean, that would be like a project for someone to do. So that would so that's theoretically have to be possible. a rewrite of the uh, the actual code on the cart, 
and a, a, a hack of this ISO or, or just one or the other? I guess what they would do, it sounds like they would convert the audio from the CD version. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, the, the ROMs themselves, some of them are different too. The games have extra options added. So it would be, I think the ROM side would be easier for them. And then it would just be a matter of like coming up with a batch to convert the music or something. I don't really know. This is just, um, just from the people that I talked to about it. Yeah. Okay. But there is, so I was a huge, for years, I love the Neo Geo CD. I have two CDZs and a CD. Mm-hmm. Um, and for years, I was a big proponent of it, that it's it's the great alternative for everyone to use to get at home who wants an, an MVS. I mean, compared to the, it's kind of a headache to get a consoleized setup going for MVS. And it's very expensive to do AES nowadays. So it seems like CD would be the perfect alternative. And it is a very cool system. And don't let the don't let the loading times bother you, people. It's worth it. I mean, you're playing Neo yeah. Geo at home. I just want to remind everybody too. Everybody that talks about slow down on the Neo Geo CD, um, put it next to your average PlayStation Three or Four game when you're loading it. It's always mm-hmm. less. So I don't have a problem with yeah. That, There's people wait like 15, 20 minutes for like updates nowadays. Like Neo Geo CD has a minute here or there. And you can disable it in a lot of games. You just disable the like the loading animations. But there is, it turns out, differences between the so the CD. It's not just an MVS or an AES with CD audio added. They did make some cost reductions, unfortunately. Okay. And so when you really get into the meat of it, the CD is definitely a step down from the MVS or AES uh, it has like, if you compare the frames of animation and a lot of fighters, there's way less frames of animation. Uh, the sprites are smaller in some games. So as much as I love it and I, I promote it to everyone, it isn't just like, it isn't the same thing as having the, the actual consoleized arcade. It is a great thing to have. And I, I love the system, okay. but, um, and then another thing to note that I've done Another big project was, so someone in like 2001 wrote this guide to removing all of the copy protection for Neo Geo CD. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize that Neo Geo CD games had copy protection in them. No, I didn't realize that because I thought you could just burn the ISOs to a CDR and play them. So so did I. And that's when I first got my CD. I like downloaded a bunch of ISOs and I burned a bunch of discs and then a ton of them didn't play. Hmm. And it turns out there's actually three kinds of copy protection there's one where uh, the game like will boot on a Neo Geo CD, but it'll stop working after a couple minutes of playing. Mm-hmm. It'll like crash with an air, like a freeze. And so it makes you think your disc is bad. That's a funny one. And then uh, there's another hack where it, or another um, protection where it won't boot at all on a Neo Geo CDZ. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that combines both of those. So, um, It'll crash and it won't boot on a CD, something like that. Mm-hmm. So in 2001, somebody wrote this guide to removing it. It's from about, I think, about 20, 25 of the CD games have it. And uh, I use that to patch the actual games. And that's one of my projects coming up is to release the pack for each game to remove the copy protection in it. Very cool. So you'll, I'll put each one of those up individually on ROM hacking for all three types of protection. And that makes it so that you can burn absolutely any of the original... Uh, CD games and play them without the weird issues. Excellent. And is there um, is there like a a game or two on Neo Geo CD that you think would stand out for the, somebody that wants to experience the differences? Maybe one with better music or you know an extra level mm-hmm. or something like that. 
Yeah, um, a lot of the game. So Metal Slug 2 is a good example. They have really cool soundtracks. And the differences in the Metal Slug games are, aren't really noticeable between the MVS and the CD version. Oh, cool. And uh, the shooters um, have cooler range soundtracks. The Samurai Showdown games have cooler range soundtracks. So it is it is really cool to hear it with that CD quality soundtrack. And I and then I, I also patch. did. Did you do any conversions at one point? Because I could swear I saw one mm-hmm. one game at least that you did where you put the CD audio onto the um, onto the hardware. Was what I a- did was I was working with someone years ago. Just it was more of an experiment, and only a couple games turned out playable in the end. But we were taking the MBS audio and injecting it into the CD. Oh, okay. And uh, it didn't really work. So some games are halfway playable. A lot of them crash. Some of them have problems. But one or two of them did work in the end. So it was kind of a failed experiment, but we went all out, and I think we pretty much tried every single game. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, and that would give you on a, on the CD. Uh, I can't remember which two work, but it basically it makes it turns it basically into the arcade game with those limitations that I talked about earlier. And no one had done the no. opposite. There are no ROMs out there uh, with the CD audio version on the hardware. Uh, you know the MVS. Not yet. I think we'll see that in the future, but it hasn't happened yet. I hope so. I thought I stumbled across a post from that years ago, but I must it must have been the opposite. It must have been the um the AES version oh, of the MVS on I the C D. Was it Ironclad that you were looking into? Yeah. Yeah. I think Ironclad, um let's see. The original hack of it it was like off the Neo Geo C D and then they had got that working on the MVS and then um it turned up on like the Wii store somewhere. In the virtual store, and they they were able to use that actual ROM on the MVS hardware now. So now, um, oh. I don't conversion or anything, you can just play the actual dumped ROM off there. Oh, that was definitely it then. All right. Well, thank you for clarifying, and thank you for jumping on and going through all these. Um, I, I probably would have gotten most of them half right, and I definitely would have screwed up the Shadowhawk one. So, <laughs> thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Heck yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, talk to you soon. Now it's time for the Patreon giveaway. Even though it's one day early, this is actually June's giveaway, and the last of the I'm sorry I charged you on the wrong month giveaways. Uh, For anybody just joining on this, people got charged in April when I was supposed to be away, so I did not charge in May uh, to make up for it and gave away some kind of fun stuff. So here's the the last of those and June's giveaways all at the same time. It's the 8-bit do Bluetooth controller, the SNES one. Uh, it's already boxed up, boxed up and bubble wrapped. So I'll just throw a picture of it here for to remind people. And from now on, it's just going to go back to normal. People are going to be charged for June, uh, the last week of June, the last podcast of June. I will uh, show off whatever the first week of July's giveaway is. And then the following week, the first week of July, I will draw it out just like I'm doing today. So things are hopefully back to normal. Uh, Thank you so much for everybody that was patient about that. And now let's actually do the drawing and see who won. Okay, there's a ton in here. So uh, I guess this was a little more popular than I'd expected. But I double and triple and quadruple checked that everybody's name is actually in this name list. uh, Although it's impossible to tell because there's so many. But uh, let's fire it off. See what happens. Min Tong. 
All right, Min, congratulations. I hope you enjoy the 8-bit do, 8-bit do controller. And uh, thank you so much for your support because without all of you guys, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. So thank you very much. Before I go, I really just want to give a shout out to Steve from HG Retrovision and Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI. They were both visiting Manhattan this weekend, so I was able to meet up with both at the same time and show them some of my favorite spots. We, of course, went to Brooklyn Video Games to meet Steve, the owner, buy some games and check out his RGB setup, as well as meet the whole crew down at iFix Arcade, which that was one of the most fun parts for me because I correspond with all those guys all the time, and it was really great to get everybody in the same room together, hanging out, checking out the RGB mods and all the competition-level gaming and all that stuff. You know, on a regular basis, you could go down there and find Tech and Jose working on some of the arcade stuff and tweaking everything, and it's just a very fun place to hang out. So I was really glad I was able to, to get everybody together and kind of just meet in one spot. I hope to do a lot more meetup stuff like that coming this year, and uh, I thought that was just a blast and really wanted to say thank you to both of them for taking the time to come out and hang out and do all that stuff. But that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much for the Patreons for all your support, and I'll see you guys next time.